Hello and welcome to episode 144 of the Waters Wavelength Podcast. I am Anthony Malikian and I am joined by James Rundle. Hello. So today, um, we're going to take it nice, light, and easy. Um, not a lot of news per se going on. No. Um, and uh, no guests this week, so you're just going to have to listen to us droll on here a little bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... Before we get to any of that, the winners of the Buy Side Technology Awards were announced today, Friday. Today, Friday, yep, uh, so in London. Yep, you can find, uh, we'll link to it, but you can find all the winners uh, from that event there. I think the, the two top ones were NASDAQ for Product of the Year and Trioptima for Provider of the Year. So. Very good, and we will have the write-ups coming for that soon? Yeah, <laughs> uh, they'll be in the December issue of Waters. December so, issue of Waters, And that okay. comes out uh, shortly after Thanksgiving. Okay. So yeah, so we got that for you. Go check that out if you're interested. Um, two topics for us today that we're going to look at are uh, exchange data fee, uh, the debate around that, and talk a little bit about the crypto space and some of the bogusness around that. Just before we start, though. Oh, God, what? When you said... <laughs> <laughs> Did I, I caught that little gleam in your eye. Yeah. You said, uh, also, when are the write-ups due? Did that feel good? Mr. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah that was just, amazing. Uh, yeah. Not yeah. Yeah. Whatever I have no <laughs> idea when they do, when they're up. Because I don't do those anymore. Thank you, thank yeah, you. Yes, there we go. Um, so, continue. So, yes. Last week in Washington, D.C. Last week? Yeah, it was last week. Yeah, it was last week. Oh, right. so we get your shit together. I know. Yeah, this is uh, <laughs> off to a flying start. Last week in Washington D.C., they hosted the uh, the the SEC hosted a panel discussion, a few of them around market data fees. Um, it was contentious. You know, you had uh, people from T. Rowe Price and um, what's his name at uh, Virtue. Um, the Doug Sifu. Yeah, Doug yeah. Sifu. They were lashing out at the exchanges. SIBO, um, NYSE. What was the thing that Sifu said? Something like um, they, when they got quoted a price by NASDAQ for the cabling that would run between Chicago and New York or something, they actually yeah. costed it out on Amazon and found that you, rather than paying hundreds of thousands of dollars, you could buy like 30 feet of that cable for 10 bucks or something. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. Uh, so it was, you know, the thing that, so Max Bowie uh, just kind of wrote, piece encapsulating just what the debate is and he's been covering this for uh you know two decades now so and that's the thing is this is a story exchange data fees is a story that has existed for decades this is nothing that's really new yeah, that wheel uh, keeps on turning buddy the this fight a... will always continue um there's yeah, a little because it's never going to be enough for them until it's free, right? I mean, let's be honest. Everyone's always going to bitch about it until it is. Well, they're going to say it's their data, it's their information. You know, now they have to pay for it. There, There is something to be said for the fact that if you're going to require deeper uh, reporting for regulatory reporting and for risk reporting, well, then you can't exactly go and say, oh, well, you have to buy. Because what is it? Like MIFID 2 says they have that. At a reasonable rate, they say. you got to do it on a reasonable commercial basis. Yeah, which, is, uh, well, which is the that, woolliest of yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's reasonable is whatever you're willing to pay, I guess. Yeah, uh, exactly. Um, and again, what defines, yeah, as you say, what defines reasonable. But then also, um, I mean, look at, look at it from both sides, I guess. Like from the, from the side of people who are trading, they create the data, right? Mm-hmm. So I guess it is their data to a certain extent. Yep. From the exchange point of view, like. We normalize, aggregate it, distribute it in a format you like. You know, it's not just you doing it. It's also X thousand other market participants. Um, 
you don't own it, essentially. Yeah. And um, I don't know, like the whole argument just seems a little bit facetious to me on both sides. And I said this to the guy from a US exchange the other night, and I was like, you do realise you're the bad guys in this, right? And he kind of looked like he was going to cry. Um, <laughs> but uh, I don't also buy the uh, the argument the other guys make. So, oh, we have to filter this down to mom and pop investors if uh, if you keep putting this price up. They're the ones who are ultimately going to pay. It's like... Um, Come on, guys! Like you're hardly the advocate of the investor here. This is not really what it's about, is it? It's so funny that you know because it is one of these discussions that I can't get behind. Like they're both just annoying sides to me, honestly. Of the debates, Um, they can make certain points, sure, but and you know if these market data fees, if they're going up four hundred percent year on year every single year, and well, then what is the added value? You got to be able to show. So the good thing to come out of this is, I guess. And as Max um, put in in his kind of column wrapping this up, is that, uh, is quoting Max here, there's no question that the SEC's efforts are shining a spotlight on an area of financial markets that has traditionally been opaque and overlooked. Um, and then the SEC's recent decision to overturn pre- previous fee approvals for NYSE and NASDAQ and to institute new procedures for how exchanges should file proposals for fee-liable data services. They're clearly taking a hard look at this now. Um, I don't think that that, you know, I listened to the panel, um, the first panel. I don't know that anything was really solved. I love that Jay Clayton just in the middle just cut everybody off. like, all right, guys, so I got to go now. Uh, (laughs) Peace. It's been real. Clayton out. I'm out. It's been real. (laughs) I also couldn't help, you know, so you had uh, Brad Katsuyama of IEX there. And so he was... He was the one that, you know, he was fighting against the exchanges, obviously. So yeah. uh, Doug Sifu and um, Mehmet, uh, what's his last name? Uh, Mehmet Kanak, um, who's global head of systematic trading and market structure at T. Rowe Price. They were like, oh, Brad, you see, Brad's got the thing. I could not help sitting there wondering to myself, if Michael Lewis decided to cover something else and not write that book, Flash Boys, mm-hmm. is... IEX even up on that stage right there with SIBO, with NYSE, with, uh, you know, with uh, NASDAQ? No, right? We're approaching the volumes of those markets. Yeah. I'm like, why do they have such? It's incredible. There's one book. Why not the Philadelphia Stock Exchange? You know, well, no, it's owned by by other exchanges. But, um, you know, why not the small little exchange in in, Miami? Exactly. Exactly. It's like, and, you know, good on, I guess the SEC is like, listen, you know, we got to have mom, pop, and IEX. People believe that IEX is here to help mom and pop out. You know, I'm yeah. not really buying this, but okay, cool. Um, I don't know. I just, I, it was a lot of grandstanding. It was a lot of just bickering and yelling at each other. And like, Mehmet like, looked like he was personally offended by, you know, that, you know, that some of the assertions at the bank that the exchanges were making. Um, the, the guy from SIBO, I can't remember his name right now off the top of my head. Um, he uh, was, Tilly, was, it? was it? uh, no, no, the other one, um, can't remember. He was pissed, like just straight up. They were like, you could tell that there was anger. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, again, this is the argument they've been having almost every day of their professional lives yeah. for like, the last two decades. Well, they're, they're probably just shit sick of it by this yeah. point. And now they're here in front of the SEC because it's got to that point now where, the government's getting involved. The police are getting involved for the markets. Yeah. Like they're just like, guys, come on. This is a business argument we're having here. Yeah. Like, why have we got Washington involved in this? Yep. It's nuts. Right. Like, you know, and 
at the end of the day, it's an ecosystem. Like, you know, the exchanges can't exist without the traders. The traders can't really trade without the exchange. So yeah. just sort it out. Be adults about it. I mean, come on, it's gone on long enough now. And also don't drag Main Street into it as well and try and use them as I mean, that's foils. A, that was like, that's how they, that's how the institutions originally won this argument, right? Was yeah. by convincing that mom and pop will get fed down. Costs will get fed on to mom and pop that is true but it's, but it's also but it's true. also part of the market it's as well it's the same thing as like when uh, you know when derivatives exchanges say well we're here for the farmer you know and that yeah. kind of thing we're here to make him manage his risk for his crops bollocks essentially yeah. <laughs> like, I know you have to bleep that out but um, yeah. like you know it's, it's just not true like the head of systematic trading does not care about your uncle's portfolio mm. like, at, you know at a big bank or whatever he cares about his institutional clients are coming and putting that flow through his system every single day, and he's a massive rebates again from the exchanges on it. Yeah, you know, and the head of uh, the head of market data with the exchange also doesn't care about that as well. He cares about selling his data to you know the big clients who want to buy it, who want to get an edge in it. And yeah. there was a really good piece written about this, and um, I think it was it was either Forbes or it was one of the other sort of main magazines, and it was just about how everyone needs to leave everyone else out of this because the only people who really care about this are the people who want to take the immediate raw dumps, right? Mm-hmm. The ones who care about microsecond-level latency and the ones yeah. who are using this information to try and get a speed advantage over other people. Everyone else, market data is mostly free for us with well, a 50-minute delay. Like, you know, and that's what so Mehmet was saying. is like, I have a fiduciary responsibility for best execution. And then the exchange was saying, well, you don't have to have... He's like, no, if that is available, then that is... I have to have the best, the fastest, lazy. And then just having this... Back and forth, and I'm just sitting there. I'm like, I honestly don't give a crap. I like technology. I like, you know, I yeah. let's let's see how fast we can make things. I'm all about pumping people full of steroids and PEDs because I want to see what science can do. I don't care about you know just so. And if he is if he is right about the best execution thing, that's different. I don't necessarily think he is. But again, so the exchange, uh, there was the guys on the exchange were pushing back on that, and uh, Stacy from uh, Nicey was pushing back on that um, end of it. I don't know, and it's not something that. No. This is an argument that's going – the big takeaway here at the end of the day is just that the SEC is now very much actively and in the public sphere rather than doing this in a closed-door meeting you know, and just getting everybody into the room and let's hash this out. Let's have a big public hearing over the yeah, course of two days. Let's the Wall Street Journal a week before and yeah, sort of, exactly. you know, make a big splash about it. We're yep. doing stuff now. This is something Clayton can yeah. point to when he goes for – Treasury Secretary, whatever it was. Exactly. You know, <laughs> even though he couldn't hang around, just couldn't clear off his schedule enough, I guess, uh, yeah, to yeah, stay exactly. there for yeah, the yeah. full uh, discussion. Mm. So, yeah, um, so that's it. We'll link to Max's story there. Um, the other thing, you know, considering that just be surly here, I guess, today, um, <laughs> reading a story in Politico today about uh, so the headline is SEC expands cryptocurrency crackdown with nationwide sweep. And, you know, one of the main takeaways here is just in quoting from uh, Patrick Temple West of Politico, uh, quote, the SEC is looking beyond the type of fraud cases that is brought so far and is now hunting for violations, including the agency's custody rule for assets, valuation and cybersecurity, said the people requested anonymity speak freely about the agency's efforts. Um, so I thought that was interesting. The other piece of it we did. So Water Technology did a. A white paper, a, what do you call it, a survey mm-hmm. of our readers and of at, at the, excuse me, banks and sell side. And uh, it was sponsored by uh, SmartStream. Um, but so a couple of questions that just jumped out from me from this was, 
is blockchain technology currently in place at your organization? Um, only 9% said that yes, currently have it in a live environment. Um, the other 91% said no. Um, 16.7 said that no, but trialing it with a view to implementing it in a live environment. Um, everybody else, the other 70 some odd percent were just lagging far behind. Um, do you have funding to invest in blockchain? Uh, 63% said no, no, no plans to request funding. Um, so let's see here, uh, funding initiatives, 16% said funding initiatives have been approved. Um, 2%, 3% said funding requests have been denied. Um, so it just goes to show that the funding's not there at these banks and uh, buy-side firms. And then have you conducted a proof of concept on blockchain technology for your business? 42% no, said no, and we have no plans at this stage. 30% said no, but we plan to in the foreseeable future. And when you say you plan to, that means nothing. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, but we're still unsure of its value to the business. That was 14%. Yes, and it was a positive experience, 11%. So this is all to say this blockchain and crypto talk. I, the thing I wanted to kind of hit on here is just there is so much hot air in this room of the crypto space. Um, I was at an event yesterday. Um, uh, Tab Group held their fintech festival. And mm -hmm. so they had three streams that were good, you know, um, looking at machine learning, looking at cloud, looking at just uh, there was one on blockchain. There was also this other uh, kind of parallel conference going along, Crypto Connect or something like that, yeah. I think it was called. Like a fringe conference. Yeah. And so they had some big names there. Um, and... I'm sure that one day we'll probably have a crypto conference, you know, as, as I'm, so I'm not just going to be, I'm not crapping on that conference in any way, because I'm sure one day we will have one as well. Whether I it's, that I'm dead by the time that happens. Uh, well, <laughs> whether it's run through us or it's run through risk, um, James thinks that he has more say in what kind of conferences we host here, but, <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, I, and you see all these publications that are popping up and, you know, that are websites, stuff like that. And they start sharing stories and stuff like that. Yeah. It is, it's a, it's a self-feeding mechanism to hype up the crypto and blockchain space. Oh, quite literally, there was a, uh, I saw on LinkedIn over the weekend, one website did a, like a sting operation almost, um, where they posed as uh, guys who are running a cryptocurrency exchange or something and, uh, got in touch with the with the journalists in air quotes on these magazines and said um, you know how uh, can I can you run my story and they were saying oh yeah for $4,000 you know we can yeah. definitely run your story and that kind of thing yeah. it was, uh, and like 80% of them said that there was only a couple I think um, I think some of the more better known ones like Cointelegraph or something didn't yeah. do it and said no like you know we'll run it if we find it editorially valuable but a lot of these guys are probably up a definitely pay-for-play kind of publications. And how many of these are publications are, if you are going to have quote-unquote reporters and journalists, we use that term loosely to describe some of these folks, um, are the, is it very clearly stated on the website, on the contact page somewhere, how much they have invested in these, in these coins, yeah, if at all? Because it should be zero. It should be uh, zero. That's our policy um, here is you are not allowed to be yeah. invested in crypto if you're right. So... Yeah, exactly. And so, but that's the thing is I, I'll, I'd put any amount of money on I'd put any amount of Bitcoin on this. That, uh, <laughs> my wide swath. No. Um, I think actually Coindesk, uh, and actually Coindesk is a pretty well-articulated editorial policy, and it does say at the bottom, 
um, I am long ether or something like that, mm-hmm. or short. You know? And then, yes, yeah, not say every single one, but many of them. And then, yeah, I just, I don't know. Like, it, it's a space, it kind of reminds me of in sports world, uh, you have boxing, you know, coverage was for decades and decades. It was some really strong top tier coverage. Mixed martial arts came around, started to pop up in the 90s, um, you know, on more of a mainstream level. Um, with the advent of the UFC and Pancrase and stuff like that, and Pride and those things. And the reporting still to this day in MMA is sad and pathetic. Like, just they just report every single rumor that they hear. There are a few good journals, true journals, but most of it's just, we're just hype machine for this sport that we like. Yeah. Same thing here, we're a hype machine for this product that we like, yeah. you know? And, and by fans, for fans kind of thing. It's, yeah. yeah. So, it, Basically, well, I, I gave that presentation at Smart Streams uh, client conference, and you know somebody's asked me, it's like, so look at those numbers. I don't understand why there's so much talk. I was like, listen, first of all, you all want to read about it, so it is true. We put up a crypto story; it will get the clicks for yeah. sure. That's creepy. Right that now, the camera horrifying. just yeah. Right now, the Skype camera just started looking at me, and um, of its own volition. Yeah, well, that's just whatever. Okay. Okay. Um, go and turn that off. <laughs> it's distracting <laughs> as hell. So, sorry, was oh, so, and I said, listen, you know, the the fact of the matter is, is that this is a space that you guys are unsure about, you don't know about. So, yes, it is our job to hopefully responsibly, you know, tell you what it is, what's mm-hmm. happened. So, those stories hopefully do provide some value to you. But then there's this whole other ecosystem that exists that's just passing around and just, you know, just spreading any sort of kind of anybody puts out eh, Bitcoin's going to be up above, you know, two twenty thousand within. That's an article. It's just going to go up just because some some guy who's vested in it says it, you know, yeah. uh, McAfee or something like that. Somebody's got vested interest. Exactly. Um, and it's not so much to use a hated term fake news. It's just shit news. Yeah, it's, it's just, just shit. I mean, it's no, just, you know, it's not properly reported. Lazy. It's just not it's properly lazy. reported. It's, yeah. Um, often it's charged, paid for. Um, so yeah, really I guess the, the point of this is just know who the source is. You know, if it's, I don't know, man. You know, if it's got coin in the title, maybe it's good. Maybe Coindesk good. I don't know. But well, yeah, man, it sounds good. But what? A, I think they lost their best report to Forbes as well. So, yeah, so. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Um, no, yeah, this is the thing. It's like any kind of any news source today. Just look at the provenance of where you're getting it from. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, if it's a coin enthusiast site, and a lot of them are like that, um, you know, I read a story yesterday on some godforsaken Bitcoin website news thing talking about Jamie Dimon, um, and it starts off like a real news story, like kind of read through a bit. And then after a while, like it's just the use of language gets really weird. After a while, it's jarring because I mean, obviously, I do this for a living, so I kind of I probably pick up a bit faster than most people would reading it. And then, like, towards the very end, it's literally just an opinion column about how Jamie Dimon's a hypocrite and how he should keep his mouth shut about Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's just like, you know, this is what passes for news in your world. And, like, look, yeah. it's being shared and shared. It's gone viral among all the Bitcoin faithful because it never criticizes their darling yeah. and that kind of thing. You know, it's just, uh, it, I mean, yeah. Yeah, because I guess, it. like, you do have, like, uh, the site, uh, the block that uh, went up and apparently, like, because they put up... Uh, a couple, I guess, negative articles, something like that. And so they started experiencing a bunch of DDoS attacks and stuff like that just because yeah, that's uh, just how these guys are. These guys are a bunch of babies. Uh, yeah, yeah. Babies, with, uh, babies with weapons. Right? Yeah. Exactly, this is the thing. Um, you know, and also, I mean, people who speak out about it 
get all kinds of horrible stuff done to him. Right. Um, I mean, you hear stories about Jamie Dimon children being targeted because of his comments about Bitcoin and that kind of thing. You know, it's yeah. just, you know, it's, it's terrible. Um, but yeah, uh, the point of the matter is, it, <laughs> that's a lot of, lot of hot air, especially in the media about this. Um, and especially in the trade, in what I call not the trade media like us, but the trade trade media, the Bitcoin yeah. trade media. Yeah, the ones um, that are sponsored by, you know, made that were basically made by these yeah. coin companies. Well, I mean, ironically as well, I had to register for a crypto conference at the end of this month. I had to go through this exhaustive vetting process to prove I was actually credentialed media, mm-hmm. whatever the hell that means in the United States. Um, and I was like, well, you guys are doing this, but I've seen the stuff you published. Like, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't let you into our conferences as journalists because you're not. <laughs> I mean, come on. Like, what the hell? Yeah. Anyway, don't believe everything you read, especially yeah. on Bitcoin sites. And just to bring it back to the Politico article, the SEC is cracking down more on this. And I, Nathan Dean of Bloomberg, he tweeted, he's like, you know, just he tweeted that story. And then he's like, by the way, we haven't really heard much about Bitcoin ETFs recently. It's like, yep. This is, you know, this is all going, this is, they're taking a harder look. So if you're an enthusiast, you know, it's curb your enthusiasm. Well, the UK was talking about banning Bitcoin derivatives this week as well. I think they put together a task force to look at it. So, you know, time's going to come in. Yep. So let's see here. So that's about it. You know, normally we'd have a guest come on here. Um, we, we haven't had a fun topic in a little we while. We haven't had James. a fun topic in a while, have we? No. Yeah, just not, not since the not, World Cup, right now. Yeah, I mean, just no no fun. Just keep on having guests on that are yeah, actually giving uh, information. When this yeah, is the part I like the most. Oh, yeah, know, this is the part everyone hates, but the part <laughs> I love. It's, uh, you know, the first Q4, man, there's very little joy to be had. So what should we talk about today? I want to talk about guilty pleasure films. Uh, well, guilty not, well, not pleasure films. Not necessarily guilty pleasure films, but films that everyone else thought were rubbish that you thought were good. Okay. So um, the reason I say this is because I watched The Last Witch Hunter for the first time. The, the Last film. Witch Hunter. It's a Vin Diesel film with uh, <laughs> Igreep from uh, Game of Thrones in it. It's okay. absolutely brilliant. Um, and by brilliant, I don't mean it's like, you know... Academy Award. Academy it's not Award Shawshank yeah, Redemption. It's not Shawshank Redemption, you know, it's... Uh, um, but it is just a great beer and chips film. And just watching Vin Diesel, like, clearly having the time of his life... Um, playing this kind of D&D character, essentially, on the thing. Yeah. Um, and just really good effects and everything like that. I just really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. So I was wondering what your films that you really like that everyone thinks are rubbish are. As you describe that, the one that kind of jumps to mind is um, uh, Clive Owen's uh, Shoot 'em Up. Shoot 'em Up is great. It oh, is. Yeah. Just It's a dumb movie. They literally just, the writers, I'm pretty sure, just sat around and they said, all right, what are the most insane ways that we can have a gun shootout scene? You know, all right, he's having sex. All right, he's parachuting out of a plane. All right, you know, kills a guy by stabbing the guy in the eye with a carrot. You know, exactly. it's just, uh, this is it was so when, entertaining, uh, though. This is during the period. Paul Giamatti, too. Paul Giamatti. Yeah. But this is when Clive Owen was desperately trying to reinvent himself as an action star, wasn't yeah. it? He did that. He did, like, Children of Men. He did, like, all kinds of stuff. When, Which I like Children of Men, too, yeah. Well, I like Children of Men. I thought yeah. it was a great film. Um, but in reality, I mean, he is kind of looks like an extra out Coronation Street, not, you know, exactly Arnold Schwarzenegger. Clive Owen can never do anything bad in my, you know, as far as I'm oh, concerned. No, I think he's great as well. And, like, and again, Children of Men. Speaking of underrated films, if you watch that film, if you enjoy Michael Caine and uh, mm-hmm. just play Michael Caine as he always does, Michael he was Caine. also in the Last Witch Hunter as well, playing Michael Caine. Right, there you go. There we go. Um, I would also throw uh, on the comedy side of it, and a lot of my friends make fun of me, but this, as far as I'm concerned, this is an American classic. Um, Joe Dirt Joe is Dirt? Yeah. just. I watched that actually probably a couple months ago like they came out with the second one that was just atrocious but the first one just i don't know man those 
those jokes, man. Still, like, I will sometimes just be walking down the street and think of a line from that, and I'll just start giggling to myself. <laughs> so that, to me, is it's just an American comedy classic. Uh, so Mythica I watched the other day. That was great. Mythica? Mythica. Um, I mean, it, it looks low budget, and it is. I think it was funded using a Kickstarter or something, but it's got um, Kevin Sorbo in it, Hercules yeah, from the yeah, TV yeah. series and stuff. He appears in it for, like, Five seconds, but he's like main billing on the poster for it and everything like that. Oh, right. um, <laughs> and uh, Matthew Mercer as well. What's um, the premise of this? Uh, it's just like a fantasy film, like a Lord of the Rings type thing, but they've done it, like there's four or five films in the series or something, they really went to town on it. But um, it's just so exquisitely unaware of itself, or maybe it is self-aware, I don't know, maybe that's the beauty of it, but like they take it so seriously and it's just so bad uh, that it's just worth watching, 100%. Yeah. So if you get... 80 minutes free one evening, you're bored. Look up Mythica on Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously the last Witch Hunter. I would throw out there, I think we've talked about this before, if like, good movies that just don't get enough hype, but in this world of comic book movies that we live in, Unbreakable, Unbreakable was... Unbreakable is the best superhero film yep. ever made. And it far. just does not get yeah. any of the credit that it really deserves. No, so I don't understand why. Like It's got Bruce Willis, it's got Samuel L. Jackson in it. Like It's got a great story. It's really well shot, really yep. well written, well paced all the way through. Visually arresting. Like the, I mean, who hasn't... Think about visually arresting shots from two thousand films in the early 2000s. Like Standing in the Rain with the Yellow Rain Jacket is yep. definitely one of them, right? I mean, yep. all that scene in the... Uh, I don't know if he's in Grand Central or if he's in New York or is it in Chicago or something like that. Any one in, train station or something like yeah. that. And he hears a guy who says he's going to kill things. That's iconic as well. Yeah. Same as uh, another one, Fallen. Which is an amazing film. Denzel yeah. Washington and uh, John Candy. Yep. Um, What's it called? The Rolling Stone songs. I would just be stuck in your head though for like two weeks time after. Time is on my side. Yeah, Literally for side. weeks afterwards. Yeah. But I just I love that scene where he's in the street and uh, Azazel is passing between all yep. the people. Yeah, and, that was uh, creepy as hell. And that twist ending as well. Like you yeah. can't beat it. It's just great. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. And then, uh, yeah, and then, okay, one more, and we'll just go. The one that you're kind of ashamed to admit. For me, it's uh, Devil Wears Prada. Love that film. Devil's I can watch that good. all the time. I quite like Twilight, the first film, actually. Twilight. Twilight. Uh, I, uh, you know, I do think less of you. Screw well, you. I, mean, I think <laughs> part of it's because. The, um, when I was working as a film journalist, I did cover it, and uh, I went on set, and I did all the scoring at Abbey Road and stuff like that. And uh, another part of it is maybe I'm assigning too much kind of artistic intention to it. But I like the idea that kind of if you just take the rest of the films out, you're not quite sure if it's a dream or not. She shot it in that specific way deliberately, like that. Because mm-hmm. um, if you look at it, it's all kind of like slightly. Hazy I've never seen edges. it, so I don't even know what you're talking about. Oh, well, I mean, it's, I yeah. can't say it's worth watching because it isn't. But <laughs> I quite enjoy it. But, yeah, the idea being maybe it's a dream, maybe it's not. Is it real? That kind of thing. She tried to put the first one. The rest of the films like flat out. Yeah, this is about sparkly vampires. But yeah. I thought the first one wasn't too bad. It's... All right. Well, now that I think less of Jim, I'm gonna go and uh, drink those. Uh, drink what he just said away, and just kind of <laughs> think about it. So, all right, um, we have some guests lined up coming up. I'm not sure about next week, but in the next couple of weeks, we're gonna have uh, some other new people on uh, for you to chat with. Yep, that's gonna be good. We've got people from all kinds of stuff. Um, some guys in blockchains and guys in bitcoins and guys in stuff that we should probably yeah, cover just, more than just that. the stuff that we just <laughs> just, <laughs> just shat all over. <laughs> So, buddy, if you're if you're watching this, you can come in and grow me on it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Exactly. Give both sides of the argument. I yeah, guess. yeah. Um, all right. Well, if you have any thoughts on what we were talking about, or if you want to make fun of James, our contact information is available on the website. Until then, we will see you next week. See you later.